Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate spoiler special of Australia, the new Baz Luhrmann epic romance drama, Western comedy, comedy, tragedy, war movie, every movie, and none of them well. And my guest today is Tanner Colby. Hi, Tanner. Hi, Dana. He is the author of The Chris Farley Show and my constant and faithful spoiler companion. Always uh, here to help. And unfortunately, we seem to be hitting a bad run of movies lately. So, Australia, um, do you want it, you wanted to take it away with a plot summary? This would be the bottom of the barrel. This I'm I'm betting this is the the Oscar turkey this year. The the big studio Oscar bait that doesn't get a single nomination because I can't imagine what you would nominate it for. Maybe something technical, but anyway. So let's 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 the, start at the top. So we begin. The plot is out of Africa. Period. I mean, that's all you need to know. It's out of Africa. A wealthy. European aristocrat uh, has to go down to Australia to manage her husband's, in this case, a ranch instead of a, a coffee plantation. But she's got to go down and handle his ranch, and she meets this rustic— Wait, She's Nicole Kidman, we she, should say. She is Nicole Kidman, and she meets this, you know, rough-and-tumble cattle driver named the Drover, played by Hugh Jackman. And they, in Australia, they don't drive their cattle, they drove their cattle. Driving, so he's always the drover. driving. He's always driving their cattle, and he's, he's got it in his blood, you see. He's got to drive the cattle. And from the minute she walks off the, the plane or the boat or however she gets there, it's just this immediate really bad Tracy and Hepburn fish out of water romantic comedy. Or a little bit Catherine Hepburn and, and Bogart from The African Queen, too, yeah. right? She's the uptight, uptight sort of, not a spinster because she's married, but the uptight sort of British aristocrat. Yeah. He's and, the brawling, rough and tumble. Yeah, and so they go cowboy. out to her plantation and there's all sorts of noble savages around and, you know, he speaks the same language. Hugh Jackman speaks the language of the noble savages and they have to go on a cattle drive and World War Two is looming, and uh, so it's point for point the exact same story as out of Africa, only it feels like that it's been grafted onto an Outback Steakhouse commercial. Because Australia is, I'm sure it's a lovely place, but it's been so parodied and in American culture that to, to try and take it seriously is, is a bit of a joke. Well, this is a very odd thing about Australia, made by the Australian director, I mean, at least the one we know over here, Baz Luhrmann, and starring this great two Australian movie stars, and although Russell Crowe, I guess, would be sort of the great Australian male movie star who turned this right. role down, thank yes, God, because thank he God. would be so uncomfortable in that Hugh Jackman role. At least Hugh Jackman sort of fits in the cheesiness of the surroundings. In the corniness, yes. And pouring you know, a gallon of water down his back as he showers by the campfire with Nicole Kidman watching on. Yeah, he fits. He fits. But for all of that Australianness, you would think that you'd walk out of this movie sort of feeling or knowing something new about Australia that you didn't before. And I really didn't feel that even as a postcard travelogue, you know, sort of valentine to the to the country and the land, it really it really brought that much. No, because what you got uh, felt like a lot of caricature, like people running around saying, oh, crikey, and the uh, dingo ate my baby and that sort of thing. On top of... <laughs> the dingo does not eat anyone's baby, No, there's no say. dingo eating anyone's that. babies in this, but there should have been. But there is kangaroo hunting. There's and kangaroo hunting. Lots of aboriginal mysticism. Yeah, and but the whole thing is set against this backdrop, and what should have been a backdrop of a beautiful, epic you know, landscape is is like 50% CGI, and so you don't feel like you've actually been there and lived in this place and seen this place. And so uh, I think Baz Luhrmann fell victim to his own appetite to show so much of a scope of Australia that he couldn't actually do it, so he filled it in with CGI. And it just yeah, there are work. a few shots of Ayers Rock, which is the place that a, a dingo ate Meryl Streep's baby, which are, are actually at Ayers Rock, I think, because it looks beautiful. And, you know, that that's one spot where you do sort of see the mysteriousness of the outback. I wonder how much of it actually was actually filmed in Australia. I assume that it was 100% I'm sure that all there. of it was, but a lot of it's on sound stages right. and, and green and, screens. And green screens and filled in with 
with computers. Which might also account, I mean, as often happens in movies with a lot of CGI, for some of the deadness of the acting. There's a long cattle drive that's at the center of the movie where they have to drive these 1,500 head of cattle to the, to the port with Hugh Jackman sort of leading the way. And since all of the cattle seem to be computer-generated all of the time, and therefore so are their backdrops, there's really a sense that this wild and woolly cattle drive is just sort of happening nowhere, and it doesn't have any texture or real feeling. Yeah, like the whole thing's on the Star Trek holodeck, and it doesn't, you don't feel like you're experiencing anything. Well, and then part of the, the problem with the cattle drive is that it's a Western, and we've just finished up a wacky Tracy and Hepburn romantic comedy, and maybe we're in an epic... Maybe it's a war movie. Maybe it's uh, In the Heat of the Night, Cry the Beloved Country, racial drama about Aboriginal Oh, yeah. We uh, haven't children. even gotten into the, to, to the sort of racial politics of the movie yet. Yeah. But. Well, I mean, what, what's astonishing is it, it sets it up with the titles at the beginning that this is a story about the lost generation of Aboriginal children. Uh, any, any, any sort of half-breed Aboriginal children with white fathers and, and, and black mothers were collected by the church and by the state in Australia and put in, in foster homes and taken from their families uh, to, to live as servants in, in, in the white household. And they're called the Lost Generations, and it's this great dark chapter in Australia's history. Which I should put in a plug here. There's a much, much better movie about called Rabbit Proof Fence. Yes. Did you ever see that movie? Yes, of course. And so the opening titles are about that, uh, but then we launch into this, you know, romantic comedy slash western slash epic. But then there's this racial tension drama uh, about, you know, uh, Australia purging its original sin the whole time. And basically the, the narrator of the story, who's also frighteningly annoying, is this little aboriginal boy called the Cramey, which is what they call mixed-race children in Well, that's in the Australia. insult that's hurled that's at him, That's the right? insult that's, that's hurled on the Cramey because they have, you know, creamy-colored skin. And, Which sounds uh, sort of nice to me, but... And, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a, a pleasant thing to say, but apparently it's an epithet in Australia. And uh, he narrates the whole movie in this, Ooh, me bus lady come to... <laughs> and it's it, it just grates on you after about 15 seconds, and yet it goes on for three hours. He actually does this thing, and maybe, you know, maybe this is how sort of pigeon aboriginal language works in Australia or did in 1940 when this movie is set, but there's this... What seems to me a really insulting, I come him, I fish him. He does this sort of um, exactly the way that American Indians used to talk in sort of bad, racist American westerns. Yeah, it feels. Me catch him fish. It feels a little minstrel showy, that right? Is that a bad thing to say? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but it feels a little <laughs> minstrel showy. <laughs> Why not? I mean, I, I found the racial politics of this movie really offensive, and there could be a lot I don't know about Australia, but I certainly know the magical Negro stereotype of you yeah. know, the the perfect savage who comes and saves the white people from themselves and it seems like that's written all over this movie yeah and to me the the worst the the sort of zenith of the bad racial politics is hugh jackman we find out later in the movie and this here's a spoiler is was once married to a black aboriginal woman and that's made him an outcast in the white society of darwin australia I don't know if you could really call it society. But his partner in his cattle driving is an, uh, an Aboriginal man, and uh, we find out it's his former brother-in-law from his, his, his dead wife. And at the beginning of the movie, there's a bar where uh, the driver goes to drink after he drives his cattle, and they won't let the black cowboy into the bar, and Hugh Jackman tolerates it. And then at the end, after the Japanese attack, and this is so ridiculous, the bar's been destroyed. There are no walls left on the bar, and the black cowboy standing on the porch outside of where there used to be walls, but there are no walls, and the bartender's like, 
Hey, we don't have him in here. Stay off my Ipa rubble. Yeah, and so and and Hugh Jackman just gives him this pained, emotional look while the music swells in the background. Like, really, really, will we not let our black brothers into the bar when we have no walls? And and they and then the black guy steps into the bar and they all pour a round of drinks and they drink and and fifty years later the racial problems in Australia still haven't been solved, but. You know, it's just ridiculous, and it's it's so over the top. And while we're on the subject of over the top, uh, I think we need to spoil the, the, the Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah, definitely. So there's this ongoing theme throughout the Wizard of Oz. What is? How many times do we we hear about it? The little boy watches the movie in this mm-hmm. sort of all creamy auditorium, which is the only one he's allowed in. Right. Well, he's he's got to. Uh, well, the 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 creamies are real outcasts because there's there's white seating in the movie theater, and then there's a balcony for blacks. But because he's mixed race, he he can't really go in either because if they find out he's a mixed race child, he'll be taken by the government. So they put the the, the mixed race child in blackface, really. To allow him to go into the to the black section of the theater, and uh, he watches somewhere over the rainbow and and loves the song and uh, he's got a harmonica and he learns how to play somewhere over the rainbow on on his harmonica, and Boz Lerman just totally co-ops the emotional currency of somewhere over the rainbow. Anytime he needs you to like feel a swell of emotion, somewhere over the rainbow starts playing, or you hear a few plaintive notes of it on a harmonica, and it must come up at least. A dozen times during. Well, not the movie. to mention when it's woven into the soundtrack. I think it comes up countless times because also the soundtrack just steals that theme and sort of weaves it in at, at intervals. Well, yeah. it becomes the boy's song with which he summons Nicole Kidman, who's sort of become like his mother by the end of the film. Although he continues to call her Mrs. Boss, I might point out until, yeah. until the very end. They have this real sort of like mother-child relationship. He calls her Miss Boss, and. Uh, I wonder if there's going to be, you know, either among black Australians or black viewers anywhere, any kind of outcry against that. I guess as long as a portrait of a people is that sentimentalizing, it's sort of hard to get a grip on, you know, what's offensive right. well, about it. Right. Well, I mean, it? it's very well-meaning if if totally ham-fisted. And so I don't know if you can really call it out for being sort of the the soft bigotry of a uh, uh, hey, geographic stereotype. Right. Well, and so the, the, the young... Uh, Mixed race child, uh, the creamy's uh, father is the bad guy who impregnated an Aboriginal woman a long time ago, and he's one of those. He's like a snidely whiplash kind of bad guy where he's just bad for no reason. Well, he's we should say he's the competing rancher. He's right? the competing rancher. He has an and, adjoining ranch, and he sort of wants to take over the ranch and take over their cattle. But his his evil goes so far over and above that simple motivation. Right. It's not just like you know really overzealous competitive practices. It's it's well it's because long like, after it's become obvious that he's not going to get far away downs the Nicole Kidman's ranch. He still just sort of randomly wants to to kill them all just because he's he's a bad guy. I guess he just resents their their happiness. Yeah, and and. And then, like, the, the Japanese just sort of show up in airplanes at the end as kind of like a nebulous invading force bad guy. So, Well, it's, it's obvious that the fact that the country is being bombed is far less important than the fact that this family has been separated, right? I mean, they're completely sort of like these, these heroes against this vague backdrop of a, of a war and yeah. other people dying. Where, whereas in, in, uh, in Out of Africa, it's a far more complex because they're the same movie, so we might as well go ahead and compare them. In Out of Africa, it's a very complex and layered story because you have, you know, the Meryl Streep and the Robert Redford and and the white people there. And there's an awareness that they've come here to, you know, make a colony and make it better. But at the same time, they're the they're the same forces that are uh, irrevocably changing it and 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 making it less the the native country that it once was. And so 
they're sort of in a way competing against themselves. In you realize this, how smart a movie like Out of Africa is when you see this. I mean, it's a conventional, right. old-fashioned, you know, Hollywood tearjerker movie, but good God, I mean, how much more political intelligence and, and, and romantic spark and, and everything right. does it have than this one? And, and in this movie, I mean, you have a few white people who are total caricatures, but there's no sense of awareness on the part of, oh, Hugh Jackman or Nicole Kidman, that even though they're well-intentioned, they're a part of this colonizing force that is 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 a part of the problem in and of itself and so there's no there's no depth to this movie at all it's just a pastiche of cliches and that's what i think you you walked out of the theater saying is that it's audacious in its use of cliche the one thing you can admire about it is how absolutely thoroughly it fulfills every possible cliche if there's an academy award for most cliches this would win there should be actually that would be an oft awarded there would be so if, many also ran. If, if, if Boz Lerman came out and said that's what he was going for, I would applaud him. Well, but then that would be then the movie would read as a sort of camp or like you say a pastiche, but it doesn't really read as that. It doesn't have the cleverness to be that, you know, sort of it's not folded over itself enough, right? It's just right. It's sort of it just is what it is. Well, just so we don't end on a completely mean note, let's just let's talk about all the movies that people can go out and rent that will actually fulfill what this movie tries to do that are a good Western, a good romantic comedy, a good war movie. I would say Rabbit Proof Fence, if you want to learn about yeah, treatment it, of creamies in Australia. We're probably offending millions of Australians by using that word so freely. The African Queen. Yeah, if you if you want to get the trade, the the Bogart and Hepburn, you know, uh, a romantic comedy, certainly get uh, The African Queen. And Walkabout. Have you seen Walkabout, the I Nicholas Rogue movie? Wow, wow. It's a great, great movie about Australian Aborigine. Actually, the same man who plays the grandfather in this movie mm-hmm. when he was 16 years old played the lead in this wonderful Nicholas Rogue movie about a boy who goes on walkabout through the outback and meets these two Western kids, and it's a very strange, beautiful movie. And if you want to see an Australian in a Western, go go get 310 to Yuma. Oh, I never saw that. Yeah. All right, so now I have a tip. Oh, and Out of Africa, of course. Of course. Uh, But definitely and certainly not this one. Yeah, avoid at all costs. All right, but thank you anyway, and will you please come along in the next one? Oh, sure, Dana. Thanks a lot for joining me, Tanner. Thank you, Dana. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.